Welcome to the Talking Shop Podcast. Join Josh and Michael as they talk about the latest hobby news, what's on the shelves at Grand Slam, the inside scoop on what it's like running a local card shop, and much, much more. Now, to the episode. What up, what up, what up, y'all? This is Josh and Michael back for podcast number three, four? What is this one? This is number four. Number four. Thank you guys for tuning in and listening to us. We like doing it and we love hearing that y'all like doing it. So post Super Bowl, we're just past the Super Bowl. We're going to talk about that and a plethora of other things. Yes. Uh, So that leads me to the rundown. Uh, We're going to do a little Super Bowl recap. What's next for football cards? Uh, What's new in the shop this week? We got a big release coming up. And a yep. couple smaller releases. An inside look at the shop. We're going to ask Josh to look into the future. Card from the vault. Uh, we're throwing in another little uh, segment here called Crazy Stat of the Week. I got to I gotta get some, some sound effects dropped in here. Yeah. You need the card from the vault yeah, sound effect. Yeah, with and now our reverb. stat of the week. Exactly. Got to find somebody at the shop that's got a radio voice. Y'all will like the stat of the week. It's going to be a fun little stat <laughs> that will kind of blow your mind each week. We're going to roll from there into card tips and advice. Uh, we actually have a couple really good listener questions that uh, came in through, I believe, Facebook. And then we're going to take a quick look at what's coming up next week as far as product and event. And we'll we'll just end it there. Let's go ahead and get started on this week's recap of the Super Bowl. Josh, I'm gonna throw this over to you. Boo! I was pulling for the Bengals. It was pretty obvious that the Rams were just a better team. They just have better players, and the better players performed all game long. And the Bengals hung in there like the Bengals do. Made it interesting. And, you know, I really thought they would go down and kick that field goal at least. But Aaron Donald came up strong. I heard this morning someone say the Rams players, the star players that you expect the Ram on both teams, the Rams stars just shined and the Bengals stars kind of struggled a little bit. Jamar Chase didn't have a huge game. They got that kind of the gift pass interference call that wasn't called on T Higgins on that big, long touchdown. And I think they said if you take that deep, one-handed catch that Jamar made and the long T Higgins offensive pass interference call that they didn't call. You take those two plays away. I mean, Burrow had maybe like 120 yards and those were two big plays. So Cooper cup rocked Aaron Donald rocked Matt Stafford rocked. I mean, the stars of the Rams just rocked and the Bengals stars kind of kind of stuttered a little bit and it was still close. It was close. And to play quarterback in the NFL, I mean, there's only 32 of those jobs in the world, and it's almost impossible to play it well all the time. It's ultimately impossible to play it from your back. <laughs> yeah. And Joe Burrow, I, I think he'll be fine, but he he was he was on his back a lot, and I think he even got injured. I'm not sure. Maybe it was just he got dinged up. But I heard. I mean, it's just speculation. But had it not been a Super Bowl had the game not meant anything that hit on Joe Burrow probably would have sidelined him the rest of the game but because it was the Super Bowl and I think he got sacked seven times and I think he was he was hit oh dropped back 22 
times and was hit. I can't remember the stat. It was something like, yeah, he's just all postseason long, just getting the snot beat out of him. And if they don't address their offensive line, man, he's not going to be able to play 15 years, you know? No, he's tough, but you're right. I mean, he's going to continue to get beat up and that it takes its toll. I mean, you start hearing footsteps at some point. Yeah. And I heard this morning too another, another podcaster say that Bengals have all the right pieces on offense. They should spend their next four draft picks on offensive line. I mean, they've got running backs that are fine. They've got star wide receivers and they got Joe Burrow offensive line. Yeah. They got to protect, uh, they got to protect this kid. Did you, uh, so, you know, did you see the, the no look Stafford pass that everyone's talking about? No. Or, so one of the passes, uh, he no looked it and, and and then fired a no look laser across the middle to Cooper Cup and it was a I think a pivotal point in the game. ESPN was drooling all over it, and I've heard a bunch of people talking about the no look pass or articles and stuff on Facebook. But they were talking about earlier this season, you know, all Mahomes' no look passes and things. And I think it was Aaron Rodgers that said uh, no look passes. There's a quarterback in Detroit that's been doing those for years. You know, he's just not getting any love because he's Detroit's quarterback. So. Stafford's the real deal. He is. He is. And it's a great segue to the next point I wanted to sort of throw your way. Is Matt Stafford destined for the Hall of Fame at this point? I think if he retired now, it would be pretty tough. But I think he is destined for the Hall of Fame because I think he's going to put several more good years under his belt. And they're going to be tough to stop. They keep that core together. They're going to be tough to stop. Right now, it's close. I mean, he's got the stats. They call him what stat Padford for nothing. They don't call him stat Padford for nothing, but people would always say he's got all these fourth quarter game winning drives. And the naysayers would say, well, yeah, he's in Detroit. He's always behind. Well, yeah, but he's in Detroit and he's coming back and winning. So, and he did it, it this postseason several times. And so I'm not a big Matt Stafford fan. I was not pulling for them, but I look at the, I look at it this way. Burrow's got a long career ahead of him, and he's gonna be he's gonna be in the mix for a long time. Stafford has put his dues in. He deserves to walk away with a ring or two. And so I think he'll end up being a Hall of Famer. Do you? I'm I'm curious what you think. I think if you look at the numbers, and everybody always puts Matt Stafford and Aaron Rodgers up against each other. Yeah. And they're still in their careers. Who knows how much longer Aaron Rodgers will play? But what's interesting is if you look, and I'll drop this in the show notes, if you compare Matt Stafford and Brett Favre, it's a much better call. Oh, really? Uh, oh, absolutely. And Brett Favre was inducted in the Hall of Fame in, in 2016. Uh, I think physically they're, they're more similar throwing-wise, too. I mean, gunslingers. I mean, they always called Favre a gunslinger. If you look at Matt Stafford versus Brett Favre, in almost every category, he has better stats. Mm-hmm. It's just, will he play as long as Brett Favre? As long as they've got that defense in in LA and uh, they're not put in situations to where they have to throw the ball because games are always close, then mm-hmm. you keep the, the defense honest when you don't have to throw the ball and because you're behind 14 points all the time then they're going to be able to protect him. And just, I think he should, he, I think he's slated for the hall of fame. We'll see. I mean, certainly if he goes to another super bowl and wins and he's a lock. Yeah. For the hall of fame. 
with the Super Bowl ending, the next thing on the horizon for football cards is the NFL draft. Now, do you watch the NFL draft? No. I do not. I will follow follow it online for about the first round, probably. Just peek in at it, just for business sake, to see who are going to be the big boys to chase. If I've got an XRC redemption card out of select, then I'm I'm taking notes on what which players get drafted. Uh, if I have one of those cards, so if yeah. What's an familiar, XRC? So an XRC redemption is a card that you will get out of. For instance, this year's 2021 select, and it will be a rookie card for a 2022 player. And the redemption card will say, just as an example, it'll say tight end one. You're getting your XRC redemption of whatever tight end is drafted first. So, of course, you want QB one or QB. I think last year I bought off of a customer QB four. Who is QB four? I got... Uh, Justin Fields, Justin whatever Field. Justin Fields was. Yeah. The year before, see, and I always buy these QB ones or yeah, QB ones are expensive, but you get the QB three or the QB four. And I try to get one every year to, it, it makes watching the draft fun for that reason. And then those cards are, they become pretty valuable if that player is pretty good. So I've got all the way back. I've had Mahomes's Drew Locks, which was a big card at one time and it has fizzled out now. I've had a Jordan Love. Justin Herbert. And I was bummed when I got the Herbert because I wanted Burrow, Tua. Those were the, and I remember thinking, please be Burrow or Tua, please. And it ended up being Herbert. And I was thinking, well, I've heard good things about Herbert. We'll see. And he ended up being the best one of the class at the time. And so, and then uh, Justin Fields was the one I had. So I watched the draft, mainly interested, which quarterback goes number four, which quarterback goes number four. And what's cool about it too. So it'll be a 2021 card but it'll be of a 2022 rookie and they'll be in their pro uniforms by the time you get the redemption. So look them up on their select XRC redemption rookies. They're huge. They're gorgeous. They always grade super well because they come in straight from Panini sealed in cases. So you can usually take them, send them right on a PSA and you'll get a nine, five or a 10 every time. So, well, I, I bring this up about the draft on April 28th because uh, most mock drafts that are out are uh, saying that they're going to be, again, four to five quarterbacks taken in the first round. Uh, the four teams that I have listed that should be taking quarterback are our Carolina Panthers, Denver. Sorry, Darnold. <laughs> Pittsburgh. And the Washington, is it the Commanders now? It's the Commanders, yeah. So the question I'm going to throw out to you is, will there be enough heat or attention on these quarterbacks? And I have no idea of these quarterbacks. I know that the kid from Liberty University, uh, that the rumor is, is that Pan the Panthers are going to take him since mm. you know local boy makes good. And I believe he's an Auburn transfer to Liberty. And okay. now he's have he had a, an excellent season, super, super good athlete. You know, I don't think he's got Cam Newton's size, but he certainly has some athleticism and could throw the ball. What are your thoughts on quarterbacks going to teams in the draft? And should people keep an eye out for position players for those teams? What happens like if a Garoppolo or Russell Wilson goes to one of those teams? That's another 
another thought to throw in there too. But the, the first thing I think of when they say, you know, four or five quarterbacks in the first round is, well, 2022 football products going to be expensive because you got a lot of quarterbacks. Everyone's chasing the jacks, the price of everything up, but, but it does mean there's a lot of guys to chase. And so when you're in a break, there's a lot of uh, juicy teams to get, but all those teams you mentioned, they got to have a quarterback. If they're going to compete, there's no doubt. I doubt Aaron Rodgers is going to go anywhere, but Jimmy G is going somewhere else. I, I, I would put money on that probably. And Russell Wilson seems to be like another one that's probably going to end up somewhere. And if I'm one of those two guys, I want to go to Pittsburgh or Denver. They're ready-made, in my opinion, to be a contender. It's too cold, man. It's too cold for those two places, man. I, I don't know. They're rich. They can go war- somewhere warm anytime they want. You know, I think that if you're super locked in to position players that have a ton of upside, I know... For Carolina, certainly McCaffrey is always the darling of the hobby until week three. Right. You know, there's so much hype around him uh, when everybody picks him first on their fantasy football team. And he looks amazing until he gets dinged up. So, you know, I don't know. I think people are starting to get tired of that. Yeah. But a place like uh, Denver, um, you know, the Jerry Judys of the world. You know, Pittsburgh, uh, there's Chase Claypool there. Uh, Washington, Antonio Gibson is there. So, yeah, yeah, there's there may be some opportunities, uh, but I don't know about you. Position players scare the heck out of me in football. Look at it. Look at it this way. Take the top six quarterbacks. Let's pretend Brady's playing one more year just for the sake of arguments. But. Brady, six-round draft pick. Who else would you take in the top? I mean, Mahomes was a backup to Alex Smith, um, and you didn't think much of him when he came out, when he was drafted. Uh, Russell Wilson, never heard of her. You know, Aaron Rodgers sat behind Brett Favre forever. It's not very common for this top draft pick quarterback to come out and be, I think Andrew Luck was an exception. He came out highly touted and took complete garbage to the AFC championship game. I think it's so important for these guys to sit and chill for a little bit and learn. They just get thrown out into the fire so fast. As soon as they stumble, they're give, they give up on them and move on to the next thing. And almost every quarterback that you would desire in the NFL right now was a backup and was a backup for a little while or was not one of these highly touted first round picks so no that's a great point i mean the guys that sat for a little bit and and learned the playbook and held a clipboard for a while they didn't have the 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 mental scar tissue that some of these guys did for every andrew luck there's five ryan leafs all right before we leave the intro portion of the podcast i did want to do a quick recap on the charlotte card show yeah, uh, this past weekend, yeah, I got there uh, about an hour and a half after it opened, and they we were packed in there like sardines. It was popping. It was <laughs> so busy. Like I felt bad. Like I go to a card show and I've got a backpack on, and you know you just don't realize how much more that sticks out into the aisle. 
<laughs> and if I was at a table for more than three or four minutes, people were asking if they could get by, if they could get by, if they could get by. It was crazy. I think with the weather getting better and uh, football ending and now the crescendo up into the basketball uh, is it the all-star game first and then the, the playoff uh, soon after that? I think this spring, hopefully baseball gets started on time. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we're we're ready to see a little bit of a little bit of a recovery. I'm not saying I don't think it'll ever get back to where it was last February. Yeah, that was way too hot. It was unhealthy for the yep. market. But I, I think that there's some pent-up demand and folks that got burned after things corrected are sort of sitting back and waiting to see a little bit of recovery and then they'll, yeah. they'll come back yeah, in. And you, you got to think of a, a lot of the, I mean, shoe flippers and some of the guys that got into it because it was a prime opportunity to buy and sell and make some money. And those guys, as things cool a little bit, are going to move on to something else. And I'm telling you, at the, at the store level, we are seeing a lot of new collectors and they're not just in it to grab something and flip it and make profit. They're literally collecting and love collecting. And the amount of kids that come in with the parents on the weekends has really changed the way that I do a few things at the shop. Like we've not been very pack focused selling two to $5 packs of baseball cards except for the last few months, we've had to adjust that. Um, we never had to before. The, the boxes were fairly cheap enough that anybody could buy one, and we never had to pack anything out because the hobby boxes would just sell out. But we've got a lot of kids with 10 and $20 coming through the door on Saturdays that want packs. And so I totally had to. It was one Saturday I just said, after I missed enough sales on packs and disappointed people, I'm like, that's it. This whole next week, I'm buying stuff that we can pack out. We've adjusted our, our Saturdays and we've seen it pay off too. And more coming. All right. The next segment is new in the shop this week. Josh, what do we have Ooh. new? It's not going to be a secret because nope. it's been hyped as new <laughs> products uh, can be sometimes. But what's new in the shop this week? Well, uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, and so tomorrow, Wednesday, y'all will probably be hearing this Thursday or Friday, so the product will have been out since Wednesday, but Series 1 2022 Tops Baseball, finally. So the first first baseball product of the season is here. Um, hobby boxes and jumbo hobby boxes in the store. We're going to have hobby boxes priced at 119 per box, which is a little under most internet sites. Um, it's not the what, 69 or $79 boxes of years past, but but it is what it is. So 119 there. Jumbos are going to be 229 which I think most places I saw online were around 250 So we'll be under a little bit under internet price there. So 119 and 229 uh, We will limit probably two per customer just to spread the love. We got a good bit of it in. It arrived today, and so... It's on the shelf now after close, and we'll have it when we open tomorrow. So I know people are chomping at the bit to buy it and chase some Wander Franco. And you're going to be busting two jumbo boxes for us. I will. I'll be running that break uh, tomorrow night. We'll be breaking two jumbo boxes. And just a quick preview. And if you don't know that I did not know this, Josh, maybe you could chime in on whether or not you knew this happened. But apparently, 
every year top series uh, not every year like i said i have no idea but last year i started tuning in to find out about top series one last year and apparently there's this thing called a rip party that tops partners <laughs> with the top breaking companies in the universe uh and they just rip and rip and rip they have these rips that are simulcast all over the country and it's just cases and cases and cases of top series one being busted open on the internet so i suggest go and watch part of the rip party get familiar with the product uh i know just a, some quick highlights about uh top series one for this year uh, there's 15 parallels, and that may sound like a lot, but if you look at some of the parallels from like Prism and yeah. Select 15, that's that's a reasonable amount put yeah. a rain, put, to put a rainbow together. Uh, I'm a big Dansby Swanson guy, and I was attempting to put the rainbow together for Topps Chrome last year, just a, a cheap rainbow. It's impossible. I mean, there's how many like, parallels there? Oh, there's over 20. There's probably close to 30. And then you got to hit that one on one first. I know. Like, All right, I got the hard one out of the way. Exactly. Exactly. But there's 15 parallels. That, and I think this year will resonate with a lot of collectors, especially um, of my generation, because the throwback card is going to be the 1987 design. Oh, <laughs> I didn't even know so that. So the wood panel. Yep. Uh, design for year we all started. That's the year Ab we all started. Buying absolutely. Cards. Absolutely. And remember, in case you're just now listening to this for the first time, I do have that Bo Jackson 1987 tops PSA, oh, that's PSA right. 5. That's right. PSA 5. That's the one you had in your bike spokes, right? It, <laughs> to, get a five, to get a five, I pro they probably thought it was in my bikes but some of the top hitter uh, uh rookies that you need to be looking out for of course everybody's going to be looking for wander franco he is the the second coming of juan soto acuna and tatis combined apparently he's he's a generational talent so he's all I'll over the believe it when i see it <laughs> he's all over the product so in insert space cards uh so be, be on the lookout for him his teammate vidal Bruhan is another hitter uh, rookie okay. that you need to be on the lookout for. There's uh, the speedster from uh, the Red Sox. Uh, his name is Jaron Duran. Uh, be on the lookout for his rookie card. Um, Brandon Marsh uh, is a rookie that's going to be in the same lineup as Mike Trout and Shohei. Uh, he plays for the Angels. There's a big hitting the, uh, from Chicago uh, named Gavin Sheets. Uh, I watched him. Uh, a little bit last year. And I don't know if he has a following here in Charlotte. Seems like all the rookies go through here first. So I'll have to mm -hmm. uh, look at that. And then from the from the Marlins, Brian Dela Cruz uh, is yeah. the last rookie uh, that I have listed on to be on a lookout. Now there that apparently there's a there's a lot of pitchers in this uh, in this set, but there's always a lot of pitchers. Yeah, uh, teams have to load up on pitchers. It's a, it's a, it's a different game now. Uh, you think back to nineteen. We hate getting pitcher autographs. I get it, but if you think back to nineteen eighty-seven, those pitchers were starting a game and getting to the seventh and eighth inning. 
Now yeah. that's unheard of. I mean, if you think yeah. back just to the World Series, it's let's get to the third inning, and then that's a good start for that guy. Yeah. Now they're even bringing out openers, and then the then then the starter, and then the relief, and then the closer. It's crazy. It's crazy. and the so setup that, guy and the closer. So that's top series one. What else we got coming into the shop? Uh, Friday is Donruss Elite Basketball. So like football, it's a nice product. It's got, I mean, I think there's like 18 packs per box. You're getting, I believe, two autographs and one's a pen pal autograph if it's like football. But uh, Elite, Donruss Elite Basketball is Friday. And a new product um, that we've got coming is Pro Set Power Football. So this is the first NIL product. Michael, explain what NIL is. Uh, and uh, I didn't know this. I had to look this up. But it I is. I didn't know it. Made Michael look it up. <laughs> name, image, and likeness. Uh, college players are getting, um, actually getting paid for this now. Yeah. So this would be the first product that features those players. So Pro Set Power Football. I think it's seven autographs per box, and it will feature some of the draft picks over the next couple of years because it's kind of like prospects and draft picks coming up. And then it does say that it features some 2021 rookie autos from the likes of Trevor Lawrence and Mac Jones. So it's a seven autograph box for $119.95. So yeah, and a lot of the guys you probably aren't going to be super familiar with because they haven't been drafted yet, but you will eventually. And, of course, you can hit the Mac Joneses and the Trevor Lawrences of the world. But those are two that um, are shipping right now and uh, will be hitting the shelves about the time this podcast hits the shelf. So, All right, so on to the next section, a little inside look of what it's like to own uh, in, uh, a card shop and be in the business. Um, Josh, you have a retail background. It was uh, it was apparel, correct? Apparel and shoes or shoes? Just shoes, yep. Shoes and then uh, AT&T, so cell phones primarily. So, and that explains why you're so techie. Did not know that. Why a card shop? That seems like so far away from shoes and then <laughs> it technology. Is, yeah. So, so why? Well, I'll go in the in the episode where we kind of go over the history of Grand Slam in Rock Hill, which has to do with the ownership long before we came along. So, the original owner of Grand Slam, the previous owner of Grand Slam, and then ourselves, um, which is actually now just me. So. We're going to do an episode that talks about the history of Grand Slam coming up very soon, probably in a week or two. Um, for me, it was, um, well, I, I've always loved sports. So even though I hadn't collected cards since the 90s, I, I, had, always, I had still always loved sports. When this opportunity came about, that was one of the things that went through my head. Well, I don't know a lot about the card business except from the 80s and 90s, which I'm sure has changed a lot. I didn't realize how much it had changed. I figured with some base knowledge there, I could pick the rest of it up pretty quickly. But the main thing that went through my head is, well, I'm, I'm familiar with sports, so I can probably connect all these dots. And then it was just combine 
what little bit I knew with the, about the card industry with sport knowledge and retail background. And I thought, why the heck not? When we bought it, um, it was me and my brother. And so I wasn't just jumping in head first alone. So um, I had him and his knowledge to lean on, which wasn't any any more than mine. But yeah, I'll, I'll dive deeper on the episode where we talk about us acquiring the store and everything behind the scenes with it. But uh, it was really just my love for sports and my enjoyment for retail and my ability to do retail. So I thought, well, let's combine the two because I did retail and I did shoes and I wasn't really that big of a shoe fanatic by any means. And uh, I, I did like the AT&T side of things because I am a cell phone fanatic. If anyone knows me, I'm a cell phone nut. And so that's when, when I interviewed with AT&T, I said that in my interview. I said, well, I promise you, I know more about all the cell phones than all the employees are that are already out there. So that I think that helped me get the job. But so I thought I could combine some sports knowledge, a little bit of my background with cards from long ago. And I just wanted to dive in head first and learn it. That's what I did. The hardest part for me has been the gaming side of the store, the Pokemon magic and Yu-Gi-Oh. So at one point I said, I need to learn. When I would go to that side of the store, I would tell my customers, I don't know anything about this side of the store, but I can sell you whatever you want. You just point to it and I'll be happy to help you. Just treat people like gold and then, and then they'll hopefully buy it. But I did learn magic. I have, I decided if I'm going to learn one of these, I need to pick one and at least learn one of them. So I really enjoy playing magic, the gathering out of the, the three big ones that we carry. That's a little bit of why I just thought, why the heck not was more the reason. And you'll get some of those thoughts on the, on the history episode we do, but yeah, that's kind of where it started. That was where my head was at. Look, look into the future here a little bit. Where, where do you see the shop in three, five, ten years? And there's a we're, we're going to cover something that's going to happen in the hobby in about four years. Yeah. Uh, when we cover one of the listener questions, but where, where do you where do you see that? Where do you see yourself? So that's changed in the last uh, couple years because I always said. Um, you know, pre-COVID, pre kind of boom of the hobby, I would tell people all the time, I have no idea if I'm going to be here in five years or be gone and be out of this business in two, just because I just didn't know. We just kind of took the store over and we were just going to rock and roll and see what happened and didn't know if it was going to lead into a career or if it was just kind of a temporary job for now. As the industry kind of boomed and things picked up and it began, Again, it's beginning to look a little bit more career-ish, perhaps. I'd like to think I'm young enough that if it's not, I still have time for a career. Um, but I'm in my 40s now, so that that time is slipping away. But um, I, as of right now, having just bought the store from my brother uh, two months ago, so I obviously see myself there for a while and just playing it by ear from there. So like you said, some things are going to change here in the next few years. And so that could also change my plans. I don't expect it to, but when we get to that listener question, we'll dive into, into that some more. The next part of uh, this episode is card from the vault. vault, vault, vault. Oh, y'all are going to like this part. Card from the vault. All right, so Michael, let's have you go first on the card from the vault today. All right, so at the show this weekend, I saw this card, and I've never really been 
a particular collector of this player, but I saw it and I and I had to pick it up. It is a Pat Tillman Silver Prism. Uh, I think it's 2019. Yep. Uh, and this one's not going anywhere. The only thing that I want to do in addition to this is probably find the red, white, and blue uh, mm. parallel. Yep. Um, you know, for he's those known who, for he's known for his military service. Absolutely. So if you guys don't know who Pat Tillman is, look up the story. Uh, you know, he was a um, an all pro linebacker for the Cardinals, and after nine eleven, he hung up his cleats, joined special forces, and he was actually killed by friendly fire. American hero. When I saw the card, I had to pick it up. So that was yeah. my my card from the uh, the shoebox vault. Uh, nice, over, and you got here. that this you got that this weekend. This past weekend, so awesome! All right, you ready for my card from the vault? What do you got so, there? This one, I've got two. Um, let me let me open this first one. So Michael doesn't know about this first one. <laughs> so it's in an envelope here. So when Palmetto Cards returns PSA submissions for our customers. They bring them to the shop, and then we make sure they get into the hands of the customers. So today's is Michael's. <laughs> Michael's. PSA submissions. So we're going to laugh at you a little bit and drool over your cards from the vault. So let's look at what you got here. So 1989. Are you going to fire me after this one? Fire me from the podcast. 1989 Donruss. Ken Griffey Jr. That's an iconic card. There's no doubt. You got a seven. This is So this is the first time Michael's seeing his cards back from PSA, by the way. I, they were delivered to the store today, so I grabbed them for today's podcast. So card number two, but we're going to save that one for the last. <laughs> card number two, speaking of 87 tops. Oh, this, this background is going to kill me. 87 tops, the throwback in this year's 2022 tops is the Barry Bonds. In your defense, this looks really clean. You did get a seven, so we're going to have to get you some new glasses probably. But iconic, iconic card. Um, the one problem with this card is that people list it on eBay, and they list it as an error card. Are you familiar with the the three on the back? is oh, yeah. missing part of the three. So they call it an error card, and then people try to list it for abnormal amounts of money, but they don't realize every card has that imperfection. So. 87 tops, Barry Bonds. There you go, Michael, your card number two. And then the notorious future stars. <laughs> future stars, 87 tops. It is an iconic card. You got to have it slapped. I'll give you that. Bo Jackson, future stars. I remember pulling this card in a pack back in 87. You got a five on this one, Michael. This That probably uh, didn't increase the value any. The back looks really good. I'll give you there. Um, they graded this tough. I'll be, I'll be honest. They graded it tough. I, I did look at these cards. I did. Now, yeah. did, I, did I look at them with my eyes or with my heart? And I, I looked at them with my heart. This is what makes me the worst fantasy football player <laughs> ever is is I go I go blind when it comes to being objective about all right. Well, I've been teasing you nonstop, but I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest with you. This first time I've laid eyes on the card, it does not look like a five. It does look better than a five. So there's probably a crease somewhere on the back of that um, yeah. that I missed. So you know what? So. You might look the right hand side when you get a chance. 
it kind of looks like that whole edge is lifted up a little bit in a weird way that you just wouldn't kind of notice. But today's real card from the vault for me, because we were talking about XRC redemptions out of select, I have two XRC redemption cards. So the first one is the Justin Fields I was talking about. So this is an example of what one looks like when you get it back. Um, it comes encased from Panini with the sticker on it. Um, it's not autographed, as you can see. But see, this is 2020 select. And he's in a Bears uniform. That is beautiful, dude. So, what's yeah, the what, what's the value on that? The market value on that? I mean, I haven't looked it up recently. It'd be hundreds, probably maybe three to five hundred bucks. That's just a total guess. I'd have to look. So, because they come like that, when you send them off to PSA, you often get grades like this. So this was the Jordan Love. So Jordan Love was a 2020 rookie. This is a 2019 select XRD XRC redemption. Um, so that's what it looks like after you send it off, get it back, and you get a 10. The Herbert that I had sent off got a 10 on it as well. Um, that card has already sold. It's no longer in the vault. But that's this week's episode of Cards from the Vault. We had to surprise Michael <laughs> with this. PSA submissions, I'll give these to you tomorrow. I um, So if, if anybody there needs me to pre-screen um, <laughs> some cards, I'd, Just I'd, be happy, I'd be happy to. And then uh, you can... Um, beat me with uh, a pipe that, when they come back. That's how you do it. You just say, Michael, which one of these should I get graded? And the ones you say that you should get graded, you just don't submit those. And do exactly. <laughs> like George Costanza, do exactly opposite. <laughs> the next segment that we're going to sort of inject into the podcast here, we talked about it before the show, was it's, it's crazy stat time. We, we're yeah. going to throw a stat that's hard to believe but is, but is, is true. And Josh is going to... Yeah. Uh, do the one for this week. Josh, what's what's a crazy stat that that people would not believe? Yeah, and if these stats are easy to come by, we, maybe we'll each have a stat each week because it's only going to take two seconds and we'll we'll get our minds blown. But so the stat that I heard was that Tony Gwynn, you know, awesome, awesome average hitter. If he played one more entire season and went 0 for 5, Every game for 162 games, he would still finish his career with a batting average above 300. That's how good of a hitter Tony Gwynn was. And that was our stat of the week. Now, what's your thoughts on that? Is that not crazy? That's, I don't know what's crazy. That there probably isn't a Tony Gwynn card that would <laughs> approach the values of. Mike Trout or uh, Jason Dominguez. Who's Jet, never even yes. <laughs> There's it's crazy to think that he was that good of a hitter and his best card. And I couldn't even quote what his best card is. I have to look. Probably a rookie, probably right. a rookie. some rookie PSA 10. Yep. Um, because they didn't do a lot of autographs. They didn't do any autographs back then in 19. I think his rookie was 1983. Um, uh, there's just it's just never going to approach yeah. the the stuff that we see now and and that but but his greatness is is nuts that's crazy yeah yeah and just fell victim of the era that he played in they just happened to mass produce cards and didn't short print anything and but yeah that's our that's our crazy stat of the week we've got I'll have another crazy one next week too and maybe you'll have one as well but it was either o for four or o for five it was if you went basically played every game struck out every at bat 
for an entire season. I think the only way Tony Gwynn would do that is if he didn't go up there with a bat. Yeah. If he went or, batless. What about late in his career when he's like in his 70s or something? I don't know what age he died at, but he could literally walk up there and not swing the bat for an entire season. Because he'd get a few walks probably, but uh, and still finish with an above 300 career average. That's, that's pretty awesome. That's awesome. Car tips and advice. Uh, we're going to wrap this up in some listener questions that we got. The first listener question that we got this week was from Derek. And he asked, what does the Fanatics acquisition of tops mean for the hobby? So pull out your crystal ball, look into the future. What does it mean? Yeah. And I've got some talking points here because we can go all over the place with this. Yeah. So uh, everything's a little bit of an unknown in, in this situation. So it's going to be a lot of speculation, but we can use our brains and put two and two together. Um, if Fanatics owns tops and will have the licenses um, for football and for basketball, what it could mean is a resurrection of tops football and tops basketball, or more importantly, tops chrome basketball and tops chrome baseball and football. So that's one thing that it will probably mean. I would think that they would be off their rockers to not bring back those. Correct me if you know the answer to this. Are they're keeping the tops name or is that still kind of one of these unknowns? We just kind of assume they are because you can't be that dumb. Yeah, or, I'm, I'm assuming they're going to leverage that brand. Uh, yeah. Tops is the granddaddy of them all, so there's there's no reason there's no reason why they they wouldn't. Do you think? And I'm just gonna go through some of the things that we talked about pre-show. What about quality? You know, uh, we will see uh, what the quality is like uh, with Tops Series One coming out, but with Fanatics taking over, do you or do you anticipate better quality control? You would think that if they had any brains in their head, they would take some of the things that Panini and what Tops has done in the past and has struggled with and correct those things. They they may be too stupid to, but I would like to think they're smart enough to know that things like redemptions and wait times are things they have to tackle. If you've got all the money in the world like Fanatics has, and they're going to very soon have another license to print money in the form of sports cards. Why not hire an entire facility for just making sure that redemptions and things are handled appropriately and efficiently. And if you can't get the guy's autograph, then make it up for the people that have the, you know, don't send them something stupid, but quality control. I think, I think handling redemptions they need to tackle. I've always said, they need to buy tops and keep the name and they need to buy Panini and ditch that name. Nobody is married or emotionally tied to the words Panini. They are to tops, but so maybe that will happen. That's my, my crystal ball prediction, but. That's an interesting take. That's an interesting take. I hadn't, that's one of the first takes I've heard of that. That's pretty, pretty hot take nobody, there. Nobody says anything positive about Panini. How many times do you get the same two autographs in the same box of the same loser player, you know, or point hundred and we did a break the other night out of luminance. Those boxes are now expensive football boxes. And one of our autographs was 150 points. That's like 10 bucks. And, you know, things like that, if you're going to slip 
panini points in there or fanatic points, whatever you want to call them, make those be extra hits instead of hits in place of autographs and things like that. But hopefully they're smart enough to come up with a way to make opening product maybe a little different under Fanatics' name. Maybe they do their own little variation of some sort um, that Panini and Tops doesn't do. And none of us know what that looks like because it hasn't been invented yet. But maybe they do something to make opening Fanatics product a little more fun than in the past. Another thought to keep in mind is that pre-Fanatics product, Panini product that comes out now, Will that be more valuable if a guy were to hold that and Panini's no longer around and now you have old pre-Fanatics product? There's a thought that maybe that product would hold value or be worth buying and hoarding a little bit. You'd like to think it'd be the other way around, like that the pre-Fanatic stuff's not going to be the good stuff. The post-Fanatic stuff will be the good stuff. But a lot of unknowns right now, for sure. But... Um, one positive I think you can hope for is that it's going to shine just even that much more of a spotlight on the industry. And a, a lot of it recently is just with the spotlight on the industry, then dads and sons and fathers have just kind of like, oh, I didn't really realize sports cards were still going strong and they dip their toes back in and then get hooked. And it's just more customers and more and more money into the hobby. So those are my hopes on the upfront side, let alone the, the business side of it behind the scenes. But I think the most positive take that I've heard and that I've read, and I, and I completely agree, is the fact that the guy leading the whole thing, I think his name was Josh, is Josh Luber. He, he collects cards. He's mm-hmm. a collector. He's a collector first. And so he doesn't have... He doesn't even have to try to have empathy for the card collector and the local card shop because mm-hmm. he he is who he is his own customer. So I think at the core, decisions are going to be made through a lens of a collector, which is only going to be good, only going to be good for the hobby. You know, yeah. whether it's you know, uh, you and I talked about this uh, pre-show, um, the facts that the fact that fanatics uh, already has sort of the inside line or the inside lane on apparel. Are we going to see more game worn game used relics instead of the player worn or manufactured relics? You Mm -hmm. know, are we going to see more innovation? Uh, I love the fact that there is a high probability that uh, tops um, will have football and basketball products because I had stepped away from the hobby. So mm-hmm. I've never opened a pack of uh, tops football or tops yep. basketball because yep. I'm not going to pay. I think tops a 2003 tops basketball tops Chrome basketball box is like twenty thousand dollars. So <laughs> right. That's not going to happen. What are some um, sort of implications uh, with regards to the shop? Uh, when it comes to fanatics for you? So there's a level of uncertainty that's a little bit scary. I've, I've heard other card shop talk about the storm is coming. You need to, you need to be able to weather that storm. That's kind of looking at it in, in a negative light that maybe this is not going to be good for 
card shops because Fanatics has kind of made it known we want to do away with everyone else. We want to go Fanatics straight to customer. Well, that's bad news for distributors. That's bad news for card shops because they want you to go to Fanatics website and order the product and not come into Grand Slam and buy your product. So I'd like to think they're smart enough to know that card shops need to be a thing and can't and shouldn't go anywhere. Um, I heard at one of the, I think the Las Vegas uh, show several months back, Fanatics said, we just want to put this out there, but card shops do not need to worry. The problem is that's all they said. And of course, they're not going to be able to reveal their hand this early, but does that mean card shops don't worry? We're going to offer you the chance to become a Fanatics franchise, you know? That, that wouldn't be necessarily good. Or does it mean, don't worry, card shops, we're going to be your supplier now. And if that's the case, then that is good. So until he finishes that sentence, we don't know what it's going to look like for card shops. We have to brace for a storm if there's a storm coming. In other words, we're not letting you have product. We're going straight to the customer. You better figure out a way to stay open on singles or very, 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 very thin margins. If we wanted to, one thought would be we could buy all of our product through Fanatics and mark it up just a little bit and sell it in the store so that you don't have to wait and have it shipped to you. Just walk down to the store and you got your hobby shop there. And uh, I do know some card shops around the country are going to start maybe gearing towards the single card business a little bit more than wax as a way to protect themselves from going out of business. But um, we have no intentions to give up the fight. We're going to, we're going to weather the storm and uh, hopefully be here left standing for our local customers when it's over, but breakers don't have to worry. Breakers are just going to get their product from fanatics if they have to and mark it up and break it. So the card shops need to worry and really distributors have to probably be sweating bullets because I think, Fanatics has made it known we're we want to do away with distributors. So it's going to look really weird. And I, I hope that, like you said, if he's looking at it through the lens of a card collector, um, hopefully they could get creative and figure out a way to partner with card shops and keep us going, keep us alive. Well, so that positions you, <clears throat> I think, well, of course, I'm biased, I'm a customer also a friend, but I think the fact that your priority is always to treat the customer like gold, then you've built a relationship. So that relationship transcends, uh, should transcend product, should transcend price sometimes, because that's what you put as sort of your priority. I think um, I think the shop is going to be in, in a good spot, whatever happens. So the next question uh, before we get to our last segment is from Mark. Uh, and Mark is a, a childhood friend of yours, correct? Yeah. So Mark lives in Iowa, I believe still. Mark, you listen to the podcast and break a little bit with us. So Mark and I grew up together um, and I haven't seen you, Mark, since we played baseball in high school. So, um, but when we were in grade school, you know, middle school, we would get to the closest card shop to me, to me and him was in Omaha, Nebraska, which was an hour away. And, you know, 
driving an hour 30 years ago wasn't as the same as driving an hour now. So it was kind of a big deal to go from our little hometown of Iowa into Omaha, Nebraska to go to a card shop. But on a birthday or something, I'd get to invite him and we'd go up to a, a card shop. Mark, if you're listening, do you remember Tuva's? I think the name was the card shop was Tuva's and I think it's still in business. I should Google that probably, but the owner was always nice to us. We would go in and he would remember that I liked Dion Sanders. And so I would look for Dion cards and Mark looked for Thurman Thomas cards because he's a big Bills fan. And so that was uh that was our card shop experience back when we were growing up. But Mark has a question. His and, yeah, so yeah, uh, his Mark was wondering okay. how do you, how do you determine which cards that you sort of protect more than say commons or or other cards? So based on value, I w- I mean obviously that's the the start. We all have personal preferences. I know you'll you'll list a couple of the ways you do it. About the only thing I PC is Brady, so I can kind of give an example of what I do with Brady card. If it's a base Brady card, what I'll do to protect it is soft sleeve it, you know, penny sleeve it first, and then I put the base stuff that's probably less than five bucks a card um, into a binder. And these are nicer binders, not just your regular um, clear page binders, but these are a little nicer, thicker binders, zipper. They've got zippers on the edge and they're side load. So the cards don't fall out in there. They're held in there really tight, but I do the penny sleeve to protect it from scratches. So anything that's chrome, especially penny sleeve it. Um, and then I put those cards into a binder. Above $5, it gets a top loader. So a penny sleeve into a top loader to protect it from scratches, of course. And then I, if I get into the, for me personally, so probably $5 to $50 goes into a top loader. And if it's above 50, then I kind of put special priority on it. And I put it into a, a magnetic case, a one touch case. So that would be your equivalent to those that collected long ago into a screw down case. So uh, the, the magnetics cases now are just today's version of the screw down, which is easier to get a card in and out of and, uh, and doesn't clamp the card down. So anything above 50 bucks, I put in a, in a one touch and then I'll put it in a box to, to keep it in one spot. Um, and then if it's more than several hundred, it, for me, it probably needs to be graded if it's grade worthy. Um, that way it's permanently encased in a slab and protected that way. Penny sleeve and bindered for, for anything that's, uh, you know, base card that I want to keep track of. That's not just a bolt card. And then five to 50 bucks, probably in a top loader. Cause those are inexpensive, but very, very good protection. And then one touch, anything over that, anything that's special to me. Um, but I don't collect, I don't open a lot because I get my fix watching all the customers open. So I don't have a lot of bulk base cards um, like most collectors would have. So you would be better to answer this, but that's what I do with my Brady's if anyone cares. Um, and that might apply to other people's PCs as well. So as opposed to just cards they're opening and collecting and maybe needing to flip or sell. So you would be a better one to answer the rest of it. Well, I, so there's a there's a lesson here, guys, uh, to be specific about your PC. Um, that's a that's a little tangent there. You can't PC everybody, right? So having a very narrow a very narrow PC helps you organize your collection. But 
outside of that, if I'm ripping open product and um, uh, what I tend to do is obviously um, this, you know, this cap, this, this, I'm going to be captain obvious here. Uh, I take out the autos, any numbered cards, any parallels, any rookies and any hits. And those are getting sleeved and top loaded uh, immediately. Now, Josh, I want you to chime in on this whole thing about putting uh, Chrome cards and autographs into a, into a uh, one touch. I've heard different people's takes on that, but we'll circle back around to that. After that, after those significant cards get uh, protected, at least with a sleeve and a top loader, then I'll just sort. Uh, if I've got different product, it'll always be by year, then by set, then by team. And then if I want to get, if I'm feeling froggy, uh, maybe by player. And then those get thrown in a two-row box or a four-row box. And obviously any sort of graded cards, I'm probably going to take the nicer graded cards. Like uh, I'll take a picture uh, maybe of my setup here. And I've got like four rows and I've got graded cards. And the higher the card is on the row, the tougher it is for me to get to it. And that means those cards aren't going anywhere. So if you look at my top row, I've got some graded Brady, I've got some graded Jordan, and I've got some a Tiger Woods and a Ben Hogan card. And those are on the top. Everybody else, they can go. Like Bo Jackson, future stars. Those Bo Jackson's going to go <laughs> right above Brady, looking down on him, Boom. Uh, and would run him over in a second. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to touch on the one touch. What? Have you heard that that like a one touch is bad for a chrome card and you gotta not if you, you get know. the right size. I mean, so there's different thicknesses. You know, you should probably get a 55 point if you're gonna put a chrome card in it, it's just a little deeper and the card won't move around and scratch in it. What I what most people do, I see this a lot of the times, is put the card in the one touch and before putting the top on it, they lay a penny sleeve over it. And that just protects those chrome surfaces from being scratched. But I still, I don't do that. I think if you get the right one touch card, you'll be fine. And I mean, if you're not putting it in your pocket and jogging, you know, around the block in it, I think it's going to be fine sitting in a box. So I, I've pulled cards out of bulk boxes before and sent them off to get graded and you'll get a 10. It's possible for a card to sit in your bulk box if it's not being handled a lot and the condition to be just fine. So um, you, you, that's a great point. You know, the worst thing you can do to a card is handle it a lot. Uh, so yeah. if, if you want to go through your collection and I tend to do that maybe once a quarter, just to make sure I haven't uh, tucked away a rookie card that, and he ended up being a, a great player. Um, uh, it's just, you know, if you're not going to display it, get it protected, throw it yeah. in, in a box and, a, and forget about it. And here's a simple answer. Since, you know, since I really don't open a lot of product like a, a typical customer would, um, the customers are probably wondering, you know, when I'm opening these boxes, these random boxes, and I've got different cards, which ones do I put? Well, look at it this way. If you, if you think this is a card that you're going to sell or probably going to sell eventually, then I would penny sleeve it and top load it. If you're going to, a one touch is just, I mean, 
you could argue that a, a, a top loader is just as protective as a one touch. Um, the card is protected. So now a card can fall out of the top of a top loader. So that's one thing a one touch would have. But one touches are kind of like, ooh, we want to take a picture of it and display it and make it look really nice. That's what we use the old screw downs for. It really just puts a focus on this card and says, look at this card. A top loader is going to protect it just fine, especially if you get the right size top loader. And you know, you, for example, said you, you'll top load anything that's an autograph or a numbered card or a rookie card. Well, those are prime examples of cards you would probably eventually sell at one point. And the rookie cards, once they pop off or do something exciting or have a good career, then you go back and you've got this rookie card that's been protected since day one in a top loader. So that's the simple answer. It's all personal preference too, but there's nothing wrong with opening a, a bunch of cards, putting them in one of the actual cardboard boxes that's made for that tucking it away and not touching it the card's going to be just fine unless water leaks on it or moisture or anything like that just keep that stuff in mind and you know the dreaded uh card savers uh i hate card savers but the grading companies want cards shipped to them in card savers so uh what i do if if there's a card and it looks clean and it's a player with some potential or an established player that's uh, earlier in his career i'll go ahead and put it in a in a card saver uh, and then uh, when it's time to send it off for grading, then, then it's uh, then it's ready to go. Yeah. And keep here. So here's a real quick story of an, a perfect example in the shop. So a guy guy brings in a Jordan rookie card, Michael Jordan rookie card, um, and it's in a screw down. And it's the big, thick one inch, four screws, one in each corner screw down. Check out this. It's my Michael Jordan rookie card. It's been in a screw down since I opened it in 86 or whatever, 87. And he's just kind of like, I just need to know what some advice, what should I do with this card? And we're like, well, first thing you do, you've got to get it out of that screw down. And I offered to donate to him a one touch and I offered to take it out of there for him because the, the, the danger is you're going to unscrew those screws and pull the case apart and the card is going to be stuck to it. And so he's not going to be able to really, no one's going to buy that card from him until it's out of that screw down. And he would not let us offer to give him anything. He would not let us open it out of the screw down. He wouldn't let us let him open it himself and let us give him a a, a one touch to put it in. So I just, that was a couple of years ago. And that just stood out in my mind because if you're not familiar, Jordan rookie cards, uh, even though it's in the eighties, they're worth thousands and thousands if they're in good shape, thousands of dollars. So um, I was excited to, you know, let's roll the dice and see, is this card going to peel off some of the color or I've seen them too, where you unscrew them. You know, it might not be a Jordan rookie card, be an old Griffey rookie or something like that and pull it apart and it pulls apart just fine. Not an ounce of any issues, but depends on how hard they cranked that case down back in the eighties. And, you know, so that's why they get away from screw downs now because that card gets pressed together for too long. It'll pull the print off of it. So, well, I hope uh, that answers uh, Derek's and Mark's questions uh, for this week. And And we will tackle Derek's question more as fanatics gets closer. And if, you know, we don't go out of business with this podcast, then we'll be able to be podcasting when fanatics is on the horizon. So we will tackle that much more in the future as things become more clear and more announcements get made. But that's kind of our initial thoughts on the fanatics situation right now. So So to wrap things up, uh, what is heading into the shop next week? 
And uh, what events do we have coming up for the Uh-oh, show? Oh, maybe trade night six coming up. Um, so next week, if nothing changes, because these dates do bounce around quite a bit. So next Friday, I believe is leaf valiant football. That's always a pretty popular leaf, even though it's a leaf product, it's pretty popular. Um, I do know we have a couple customers that like that and are waiting on that. So there's finally a date for that. That is next Friday, the 25th. Um, same day as Donruss basketball, if that doesn't change either. So that's always a pretty big overpriced. I know it comes out, but there's some banger cards in there. Uh, they always do some really nice inserts like the Marvel inserts and the, you're, you know, you're looking for number graded rookies and stuff like that. So those would be the two next week to keep an eye on. Did I tell you any others? Does that sound like the two that we were talking about? Uh, you did want to give a little love on the Pokemon side. Oh, thank you. Yo, so Brilliant Stars is the new Pokemon set. We are in the middle of pre-release right now. We did a pre-release tournament midnight Friday night, this past midnight. We actually, just on a side note, record turnout, our biggest midnight ever. So for four years, we've done a midnight pre-release tournament when that product comes out. And each year, the number gets bigger for our turnout at midnight. So we had, I think, almost 40 at midnight. So uh, that product, though, officially launches for sale on the 21st, which is Monday. And we get it because we're an OTS store, a tournament store. We get to sell that like a week before Targets and Walmarts do. So we do pre-release last weekend. We'll do pre-release again this weekend. And then Monday, we'll probably have a little bit of a line at the at the door when we open because that product sells, sells hot and heavy. So Brilliant Stars Pokemon. March 21st, Monday, 11 a.m. When we open, we'll have it. March 21st or February 21st? February 21st. Sorry. Thank you. But what do we have coming up on March 5th? March 5th, tentatively, trade night six. So a lot of people asking, and we are excited to do another one. Our next trade night will be trade night six. And it's penciled in as of right now for March 5th. So you can kind of pencil that in on your calendar. It may change, but probably not. It's probably going to be March 5th. So that's a Saturday night. We're going to do, uh, we'll have Palmetto cards there taking submissions for PSA. If they're not able to make it like last time, because they do a lot of shows on the weekend, we will collect for them again and hand deliver those to Palmetto. Um, So if you want something graded, bring it down March 5th, trade night. We're going to break out something new trade night, the Plinko board. I have built a Plinko board. It's like six feet tall. With your entry into trade night, you will get a ticket and your ticket will allow you to drop a Plinko chip and the Plinko chip will correspond with a prize. That's something new. We'll bust out. We'll do a regular featured break like we do always. We'll give you a week or two to grab a spot and pay the price because it's always a pretty, pretty hefty price. Um, but it'll be a lot of hobby products. So we'll do that as well. And something else we'll probably dream up that hasn't been dreamt up yet. So that's kind of for sure what's going on. If you got to dress up as Bob Barker. Oh, you got to do it with the microphone. Not Drew Carey. Not Drew Carey. You got to do Bob Barker. (laughs) Everybody loves dropping a Plinko chip. So I thought that'd be fun. All right, Josh, I think that's it. I appreciate your time. It's always good seeing you. 
Yes. Thanks for everybody out there that made it this far. Uh, if you uh, get a chance to drop uh, a rating on iTunes and give us a review, uh, thanks for those who've left some ratings. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you for for listening, taking some time out, listening to us talk about talk about this hobby. That we, Josh, you want to sign us off? Yep. So, any other uh, listener questions? Just shoot them into us and we'll tackle them or give our thoughts on them at least um thank y'all for listening and come see us down at the shop peace see you guys thanks for listening if you like the talking shop podcast be sure to give us a great rating and review catch you next time as we talk shop